Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Right, yes. It is an incredible book, the book of Romans. We're going to be in chapter 5 today. This is lesson 9, and as we titled this, God's power to transform anyone. If there's one thing you see all the way through the book of Romans, it's that God can transform anybody. And uh, this is really, you know, have you ever opened the hood of a car, and you're looking in the engine compartment there, and uh, you just kind of have a stumped look on your face, like, what, what, now what? <laughs> what do I do to fix this thing? Or, you know, what does that do? What does that do? What does that do? Uh, that's kind of like the book of Romans, a little bit. Uh, it's, it's the mechanics of the gospel. It's the mechanics of salvation. And you open it up, and you're like, huh? Uh, but the more you learn, oh, that's what this does. Oh, that's what this does. Oh, okay. Then it all begins to come together. And so Paul is kind of putting the puzzle together about salvation and what God has done for us is so rich, the rich book of Romans. So, all right, Romans chapter 5 today, I've mentioned this before, but it's worth repeating. Some might call this the evidence uh, of the depravity of man. Listen to this. These are the property laws of a toddler, okay? If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you are playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. Number 10, though, if it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> uh, this is the truth, okay? This, here's the truth whether we like it or not. We start off in this world as selfish little creatures. <laughs> and some of us don't get much better, unfortunately. Have you seen how some peop- what, what some people will do if you mess with their house or you mess with their car? Do you see what some people will do? What's wrong with us? Why can't we be more giving? Why can't we be more selfless? Why, why do we have to get angry when somebody else gets in line in front of us at Costco? Or somebody drives in and gets that parking spot that we really wanted? Oh. <laughs> why do we always want our own way? Why? Someone has said that we're so good at sinning these days that we've created an, an app for all those, the seven deadly sins. If you want lust, there's Tinder. If you want gluttony, there's Yelp. If, it, if it's greed, LinkedIn. If you're a sloth, Netflix. For wrath, Twitter. For envy, Facebook. For pride, Instagram. <laughs> it's an interesting thing to be human. Interesting thing to be human. Uh, In the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan, the lion, says to King Caspian, it's a C.S. Lewis writing, you come of the Lord Adam and the Lady Eve, and that is both honor enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar, 
and shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest emperor on earth. Humans. There, there is just no other creature like a human. But at times, uh, it's an incredible thing to be a human, but at times it's very shameful to be a human. The things that we are capable of as humans is unbelievable. But here's the question today. Where did this inclination towards sin and selfishness and evil, where did that come from? Where did depravity start? And why are we in this mess of sin and we're unable to get out of it on our own? Evolution says it's because we're not fully developed. Education says, well, there's no such thing as sin anyway. Don't worry about it. But the Bible says that it all came from one man. And we're going to look at that today. We're basically, this is going to be a very uh, theological sort of lesson. Uh, we're going to look at biblical anthropology, if you will, not the study of the biology of man or cultures or, or societies, but the biblical doctrine of man. Who is man? And particularly the doctrine of depravity. The scripture passage we're going to look at today is maybe, as some have said, the most difficult portion of Romans to interpret. But don't be worried, and, and I will say this, it's a powerful passage, and uh, don't be worried if you get a little lost at first. Like I said, it's like opening that hood, and it's a little confusing at first, but the more we begin to see it open in front of our eyes, by the end, I think it's just going to be all clear, and not only clear, I really believe that God's goodness will just flood your heart, and it will bring an amazing encouragement and rich food for your soul today as we look at this. So hang in there to this great passage. To start off, though, if we're going to understand these next few verses, there's a few general truths that we need to understand. Number one, we're going to look at this verses 12 through 21, and we're going to see one word uh, repeated 11 times. The word is one, O-N-E. And the key idea here is, that, is our identification with either one Adam or one Christ, with one sin or one gift of grace. And so we're going to see this word one, 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 one. Second thing is the repetition of the word reign, R-E-I-G-N. And that's used five times. Paul is writing about two men, as I said, Adam and Christ. This is really the tale of two kingdoms, if you will, here. And um, each of them are reigning over a kingdom. Adam has his kingdom, Christ has his kingdom. And finally, we're gonna see this phrase, much more. It's repeated five times. And that what it's talking about is the fact that Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, we have gained much more than we lost in Adam. So that's where we're headed, okay? So let's picture in our minds two kingdoms. On one side we have Adam, on one side we have Christ, and they are two kingdoms. And so if we can really get this contrast in our heads that we're gonna be either talking about one of these, it really helps as we interpret this. God sees every person on this planet as in one of those two kingdoms. You're either in the kingdom of Adam or you're in the kingdom of Christ. And so Romans 5, verse 12, let's begin. Wherefore, as by one man... Sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so, death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now here's the key point of this verse, and that is, by, by one man, sin entered into the world. We see that very plainly. And because of that sin, something else came into this world, this verse says, and that is death. Death passed upon all 
men, all, everyone. Now, and we see that because all have sinned. Now, we all know that Paul is referring here to Adam. He's the first man. He was the one who sinned. He was created first, and therefore he is our human representative in the Garden of Eden. Uh, some call him our federal head or something like that, but we can just say he is our representative. And um, <laughs> he's the best we had at the beginning, and, and he had the best chance of this. He's number one in our bloodline. And our father, Adam, sinned. We see that in the book of Genesis. He ate the fruit. God said, you can eat any of this wonderful fruit. There's all kinds of fruit here. Just don't eat of this one tree. And that one tree, Adam, ate of. And so once he did that, this verse says that sin came into our, his bloodline and death also passed into the bloodline. And that's where death entered this world. So now there is a deadly disease that everyone with Adam's DNA tests positive for, and that is S-I-N. That's you, that's me, we all test positive. This, this corrupted, the sin corrupted Adam's DNA. And that's really what we're talking about here is it, death is a separation. There's spiritual death, physical death, eternal death, but all of them speak of some kind of separation. Physical death is primarily being referred to here, and physical death is the soul leaving the body, and that's what happens. A body, your body and my body will die because of this sin. You can drive down the road and see a cemetery. All those grave markers out there is just proof that Adam sinned, and there's proof that there's sin in this world. So everybody in here is on a death march. Our days are numbered. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news to everybody here today. The WHO, the uh, the World Health Organization has confirmed that the world death rate is holding steady at 100%, okay? And <coughs> everybody's looking at me saying, wow, this is really comforting. Thank you, Pastor Luke. Glad I came this morning. The point is here, we don't die physically. The main point of this verse is we don't die physically because of our own sin. We're going to die someday because of Adam's sin. And that's obvious because sometimes babies die. Not because of their own sin, but because of the consequences of Adam's sin. Death passed upon all. So now this might be a good moment real quick to clarify this issue about the de death of babies. It's of very great interest to me. So here's the question, do babies then go to heaven? And I think, yes, absolutely. And there are several reasons why I think that, but let me just give you a couple. One of them is in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 6. It talks about a time in, a, in people's life where we are unable to reject the evil and choose the good. Babies, young children, and mentally disabled people would certainly fit into that category. Unable to reject evil and to choose the good, which means they're also unable to see their need and accept Jesus Christ as Savior. So would God send a person like that to hell for their unbelief? I don't think so. I really don't think so. And I think the principles throughout scripture help us see that. If you lay them all out, I would say that God is not gonna hold those babies accountable for something they're incapable of doing. And that's, uh, that's what I see in scripture. N another thing is we have an actual example of a baby dying in scripture. Uh, and that is David. His baby died in this account. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, David very clearly says that he is going to be reunited with his baby one day. This baby will not come to me, but I will go to him. I will see him again. That alone is enough for me. And there are several other reasons. 
But the main point, if we'll whittle this down here in Romans chapter five, this passage we're gonna look at, is that sin passed and death passed to all people through Adam. And therefore, we experience all the consequences of that sin, including a corrupt nature, uh, mortality, the fact that we're going to die, and a fallen world around us. This place is just no good. I mean, there's just death throughout the entire world. Also, a quick note here. Paul clearly believed that Adam was a literal person. He did not take Genesis and think that this world started billions of years ago and, and, uh, and Adam's just sort of a figment of our imagination or whatever. No, he believed in a literal man who sinned a literal sin and brought literal death on all people. Millions of years of death in evolution to bring about life in mankind does not fit with the account in Genesis. And so the New Testament, if you reread the New Testament, it always, always upholds the Genesis account of the beginning of man and the history of man. Jesus himself did uh, talk about creation. Therefore, I believe it wholeheartedly because Jesus, the Apostle Paul, and, and all the New Testament uh, very much hold to it. Now, Paul launches into some clarifying statements on this, first, uh, on this first verse we looked at. So, death passed upon all, sin came in, death passed upon all men, and he's now gonna clarify that. Now, you're gonna notice in scripture that these, these verses are in parentheses, and what he's gonna do is he's gonna answer some of the questions for the Jews who felt like everything in the world revolves around the Mosaic law. Verse 13, here's what he says. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Huh? (laughs) Let me explain. Here's a question some might ask. So, okay, Paul, what about all those people between Adam and Moses when the law came. We have 2,500 years of human history and um, they didn't have the Mosaic law to show them between right and wrong. Are they going to die too? Are they gonna die in their sin also? Though they never even had God's written law in front of them? And Paul's answer is, look at what happened. Death still reigned from Adam to Moses. People still died. In other words, yes, they died too as a consequence of Adam's sin. Even though they never sinned in the exact same way as Adam, they still, are, uh, they still experience death. Adam's sin was called here transgression. Transgression means to cross over a line, that God, a, kn- a known line that God has given. Adam did that. Do not eat of the tree. Adam crossed over that line. That is a transgression. And maybe all those people from Adam to Moses in their sinning didn't cross over, didn't transgress. They didn't have a known line there in certain ways. But as we learned earlier in the book of Romans that everyone, everyone, everyone is born and has the law of God written on their hearts and they have a God-given conscience. For chapter two, verse 15. We all have a God-given instilled moral code. So nobody is innocent here as we talk about this. As it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, we saw earlier, there is none righteous, no, not one. 
So they may not have specifically transgressed, but they sure did plenty of sins, and the sins that they knowingly went against their conscience. But they may not have transgressed in the way Adam did. However, still the, the, the fact remains, in Adam's line, in Adam's kingdom, death reigns. And in Christ's kingdom, something else reigns. And we'll see that in a moment. Now, real quick though, some of us might have another question for Paul. Some might say, okay, hold on. This doesn't sound fair at all. Uh, if death came from Adam's sin, then why am I getting judged for what he did? That's right. Thanks a lot, Adam. You know, uh, have you ever thought that before? Wow, Adam, thanks a lot. Look what the mess you made here. But here's the deal. <clears throat> Given the chance, you and I would do the exact same thing. You know how I know that? Because you did. <laughs> Everyone in here has done the same thing Adam has. You and I, you know it, has transgressed. We have crossed over a line, a known line that God has given us. And secondly, and more importantly, this is one thing we really need to think about here. The way that God is so wise and merciful in this whole system that he set up. See, here's the, here's the deal. Um, God set up this plan that one man would be the representative for all. He was the first man, and he would be our representative. He would be our federal head, if you will. He would be the one we'd all sin in him. And because he did it that way, now through one man, uh, he can save uh, people. He can take away all that sin. Have you ever wondered that question? How could the death of one man on a cross 2,000 years ago save the sins of the entire world? How, how does that even work? Well, again, we're opening up the mechanics of this, and Paul is showing us this is how God made it to work. Because one man's sin brought sin upon all and death, one man's uh, crucifixion and resurrection now can bring life and, uh, and power to all. So, think about it here. Would you rather this whole system be a fair system and everyone pay for their own sins? Or would you rather accept the payment of sins that Jesus made for us as our representative? Thank you, God, for this one-man system that he set up. Now, Paul contrasts what happened with these two men here. Now he's going to go on to keep contrasting because as he says in verse 14, Adam is the figure or the picture of what was to come. Adam is that picture of Jesus who was to come, but in an opposite sort of a way, in a contrasting sort of a way. So verse 15, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. So again, the free gift is not like the sin. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. So here the offense is contrasted with the gift. And by the way, where it says many here, the more accurate translation would be the many, the many. And this is the same as all men in verses 12 and 18. So here's the point. <clears throat> by one offense, by one sin, eating the fruit, all are dead. But the one gift by grace is to all, the cross of Christ, is even bigger than that sin. So this is what he's saying, it's much more. So yes, you have one sin that brought death to all, but over here you have the gift of grace by one man 
And this gift, this fact that he died on the cross is much bigger than all of this sin. Yes, sin brought something horrible, but God's grace brought something much bigger. Sin brings death. It brings separation from God. But the grace of God brings restoration of relationship, physical life, eternal life, and as Jesus said, life more abundantly. Here's the principle that we're gonna continue to see through here. What we gain in Christ is so much more than what we lose in Adam. He doesn't just restore what's lost. He gives more than you can even imagine. So think about a person, I was thinking about this. Think about a person when they become a citizen of America and uh, they've come maybe from a, a place like North Korea, for example. Uh, when they come, when a North Korean comes from there and they come to a place like America, they, it's much better than anything they've ever known before. They don't just get out of prison death camp. They get a whole new lease on life. They get freedom to choose, food that they never had before, a bright new future, and so much, so much, so much more. I like what Adrian Rogers said. I would rather live in Romans 5 than in the Garden of Eden. You get so much more. <laughs> what a treasure it is to be a citizen of heaven and to know it. Do you realize what we get? I read the story about a man whose parents were immigrants. They were Jews from, from Europe and they came to America in search for safety. His parents back in the day lived and they worked in New York and they were not well off. His father died when he was young. And in time, this man grew up and became a wealthy person. He, he often used to offer his mother the chance to travel. He said, Mom, I'll send you anywhere in the world. You can go any place you want outside of America. I'll send you anywhere. But she never wanted to leave. When she eventually died, they went back to recover all of her stuff and they found a safety box uh, where she kept her jewelry but they fin they found inside of her safety box another safety box and it was locked and there was no key so they had to drill it open they, everybody was wondering what precious jewel they were going to find inside this box within a box there was, uh, there was wrapping after they opened it up there was wrapping and then there was more wrapping and finally an envelope they opened the envelope, and in the envelope were her U.S. citizenship papers. Nothing more. That was the jewel to her, more precious to her than any other possession, the thing that she treasured the most, her citizenship. Let me just remind us this morning that there is nothing more precious than our citizenship in heaven, which was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're looking at here. We get much more in Jesus than we ever lost in Adam. Verse 16, Paul makes another contrast. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. So this is the contrasting uh, effect. The effect of Adam's sin with the effect of Christ's gift. In other words, one man's sin brought condemnation, wrath, judgment on all. But one man's gift brought justification. That is forgiveness. Uh, that is reconciliation for countless sins. One man's sin brought condemnation, wrath, and judgment. But one man's gift 
brought justification for countless sins. Countless sins. Our sins. God is so good. Verse 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So these are the two reigns now he's contrasting. If by one sin death can reign, imagine how much better the reign is with one man's abundance of grace. Think about that. If you go back to Genesis chapter 5 and you read the genealogies of people back then, and you start going name by name and Adam and blah, 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 all these guys, and then after every name it says, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Death was reigning over mankind. Death has always reigned over mankind. As Paul said earlier, the wages of sin is death. Adam's kingdom is a kingdom of death. Sin brings death. It always does. Even now in our life, if we will sin, it'll bring death to relationships. It'll bring death to joy. It'll bring death to peace. Sin always brings death. But again, God doesn't leave us in that state of death here, as Paul, or as Paul is talking about. He doesn't just leave us in this reign of death. He says, if you will receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness through Jesus, then you are now reigning with Christ in a new kingdom that's ruled by Jesus. You become a child of the king. A new kingdom you're in. And it's much better than this other kingdom. By the way, Someone who reigns in life, as it says here, is someone who has authority over sin. You have authority, it means a lot of things, but it means you have authority over sin. In other words, you can walk around in victory and not defeat. You have power over sin. You don't have to do that thing. He, He or she, we can say, I am not under sin, I am over sin. To reign in life is to do the right thing when I would have done the wrong thing before and as a footnote notice and we by the way we'll reign with him in eternity as well but as a footnote here notice carefully this verse reminds us that this grace and this gift of righteousness come to they which receive they which receive see this gift of grace this gift of righteousness is offered to all to everyone but it's only applied to those who receive it. Some will receive and some will not. When Jesus died, his blood was available to all. We do not ascribe to the doctrine of irresistible grace, where God arbitrarily decides who gets his grace and who doesn't with man's ability, without man's ability to deny or accept. He he has no say in the matter. I think this is one place in scripture among many that says that man must receive, receive. So now after his parentheses, Paul summarizes his whole theme. And this is what we're going to see and put down in our notes here. Here's the key theme, verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made 
righteous. So again, we're contrasting now the, the obedience of two men, Adam and Christ. Here's the main theme, and this is what you can write in your notes. Adam's one act of disobedience brought sin and judgment on all. Christ's one act of obedience to the cross makes justification and righteousness available to all. There it is. There is the glorious truth. This is that one, one man system that Christ has set up. This, this system of we've, we have sinned in Adam and yet he is our representative and all the consequences of that come to us. But the same with Jesus. He is our representative. And on that cross, he took our sin. And he, by the gift of his grace, laid down his life. And that, therefore, in him, our sins are forgiven. And now we have the gift of righteousness put onto our account. What an amazing thing Jesus did for us here. Someone has said that one man's decision regarding a tree that, al that altered the course of history and another man's decision regarding a tree that altered the course of human history. So whose kingdom do you want to belong to? <laughs> Adam's or Christ's? This is a no-brainer. But again... Because there were so many in Paul's day who thought that they were saved by keeping the law, he had to clarify one of God's purposes for the law of Moses. In verse 20, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. We need to understand something this morning. The grace of God has been there since day one. It's not something new. God dealt with Adam and Eve in grace. God dealt with the patriarchs in grace. God dealt with the nation of Israel in grace. God has never not dealt with people according to his grace. He didn't, God didn't all of a sudden get more gracious at some point along the way. Oh, I, I decide I'm going to be more gracious now. That's not how this works. What this means is here that the law did not come to replace grace. The law of Moses was never meant to save anybody. That was not the point, ever. Paul was trying again and again to get the Jews to see this. God's law was an act of God's grace. See, God was extending a warning that our sin is much worse in God's eyes than mankind realizes. See, notice it says here, he came, the law was brought to make the sin abound. Make sin abound, which means that we would see how sinful our sin actually is. This is such a gracious thing of God to do. So gracious. He could have just kept us, let us keep going without any warning. I read about a woman in India recently who was walking to work one day along the train tracks and she tripped over a broken rail and, it, and uh, she realized as she did that that boy, this is very, very broken. In fact, it's so broken that this is going to be dangerous for any train that comes here. Seeing how bad the situation was, a true story, she knew she had to do something for she heard an oncoming train. She ran where she could and she took a red sar her red sari and started to just wave it as, as much as she could. She said later that she heard how red stands for danger, and so 
She just waved that red sorry until the, so the driver of the train would stop the train. And he did. He slammed on the brakes. And later, he said, and they, all the people in the train were saved. Later, that driver of the train said that that woman, that woman's action saved the lives of around 200 people. This is one of God's purposes for the law. It was given to wave the red flag. Hey, hey, do you realize? It's telling us you are on the pathway to death. This sin is serious to God. This is not a joke. This is not just something that you can just think you can do without any consequence. This is bad. This is bad. And this sin that came from Adam is a bad, bad thing. And so you need something. You need help. You need help. Now the law itself can't do anything about it, about saving you. But it warns you and says, you need some help. And what is that help? That help is the grace of God to save us from that pending danger of death and hell. So God's law is an act of grace, but it was never to, meant to be the thing that saves us. It warns. Only Jesus can save. But look at the beautiful way that this chapter ends. Yes, God may have to warn you that your sin abounds. But look what it says. Your sin abounds, grace does much more abound. The word literally there is superabounds. That's the amazing thing about God's grace. God's grace is always more and higher than your sin or mine. So yes, God says your sin is abounding, it is very bad, and you are on a pathway to death. But he says, you know what? God's grace is always abounding. It's always much more. It can cover any single sin. See, some think that they've sinned so bad that they've crossed the line into some territory that God can't forgive. But God's grace, he says here, always abounds much more. We can't out-sin the grace of God. We can't sin more than God can forgive. Now, it's not cheap grace. It costs Jesus his life. We cannot take this grace lightly, which tells us how sin, actually, the fact that he did die, tells us how serious that sin actually is. But it is super abounding grace. And it will cover any sin. Remember, Paul wrote at a time in Roman history where the immorality and the wickedness were so in your face and they did things in this, uh, in this time and in this era that we can't even discuss out loud. Nero and some of the other emperors are known as some of the most vile in human history. And that is the time that Paul said, yes, you are, your sin, Romans, can, will, may abound, but God's grace does much more abound. Roman morality, Roman morality, that's an oxymoron. <laughs> and yet Paul says, where sin abounded, grace did yet much more abound. So let me just remind everybody, this is good news for us. No matter your sin, no matter my sin, Wherever our sin is, grace does much more abound. Somebody has pictured it. They said it was like our sin puts up a big dam, the biggest dam we can put up, and it's so high. But the point is here, God's grace can always over, overfill, overflow whatever we think we can build up. And that's good news. Whatever your sin is today, uh, the grace of God can cover it. Lord, we thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church 
and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.